Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 205 on the OneOuter.com podcast. As you know, recent listeners are old and new. We recently returned and the show is currently going on a monthly basis. We will still be answering questions sent in to Alex. Send them in, questions at OneOuter.com on email or tweet them to at OneOuter.com. That's at O-N-E. O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M or you can post them in the Facebook group or on the main Facebook page and they will all go into a bag, a fictionary bag and we will eventually get to the bottom of that and get them read out Well, and Alex will answer them. Alex, on the last show we sort of returned. You had details of a great deal for discounts exclusive to one out our listeners on all your products. We're going to touch on that again later. You've decided to extend that. And I want to say thank you to many people who took advantage of that offer because it did help um, spin off a little bit of commish for me in the show. <laughs> and you, to use Alex's phrase, to keep the lights on here. And it was just great to see lots of people come out and support it. And it was kind of one of these, you know, when people say, oh, it's someone, one of these win-win. You know, Alex sold some of his stuff. I got a little bit of commission for the show and the listeners got a huge discount, 50% minimum, up to 75% off some of your products and everybody who buys them are always, you know, we've had emails in already and tweets saying they're excellent and really helped their game and stuff like that. So that was kind of Alex to extend that as well. Um, It is still a limited time offer, but as we're still going on a monthly basis, we're going to, you know, keep it going just now and, I'm sure we'll give you all a heads up when, when that's going to end. Um, Alex, what have you been up to then? Now we do it on a monthly basis. You've had a month. So it's <laughs> you, you know, yeah. to a little bit more than the usual week-to-week basis. Yeah. Uh, well, first let me just talk about – well, first let me get near the mic. That might be helpful. Uh, first let me just talk about the coupon deal. Something I can do with uh, Gumroad where I have the store is I can put a finite number of coupons. So the one outer coupon exists, but you can only use it on a certain product five times or something like that, right? So I did that just as one of those, hey, let's get Barry, you know, Barry's being pretty humble, right? We're just trying to throw him like 20 bucks an hour to (laughs) do this, right? Because he does a lot of editing and uploading and then... Uh, he, he, uh, he has to do a lot on the back end. Right. And yeah, a few more of you bought anything that I expected. So I added a couple more on each of the coupon, right? There was like three copies left of each one or whatever it is. And once that runs out, I think what we're going to do with this podcast, just to make sure that Barry's, uh, it compensated for his time because he spends more time on this podcast than, uh, a lot of people realize is we'll just we'll put coupon codes on products as they come out and it'll be one of those things if you want to buy direct through me that's fine through the mailing list and if you want to if you want to support one outer it'll be the exact same uh discounted price if there's a sale running we'll just see that barry gets some of it that's your way of saying hey alex i heard about you through barry and then i can take care of barry the right way as is ethical as far as what i'm doing uh, life's good man i don't don't know what to tell you it's uh i i didn't really go much beyond that went to atlantic city last week to watch a 
a friend of mine, a Greek guy in my neighborhood, because this is a Greek neighborhood in New York City, uh, a friend of mine it was doing an MMA fight, and yeah, I got cage side tickets for way cheaper than I expected. And uh, since he obviously knew the promoter, he could uh, he got me the the seats like right before where the fighters go to talk to their doctors and everything. And that was uh, that was a hell of an experience. And uh, yeah, I did my first announcing gig a few weeks ago. Uh, I want to say I, you know, I've just been enjoying life. It's a, it's a fun life out here in New York. I feel like, uh, I feel like I also know what I want to do with my life, which really sets things up. It, when I was playing poker, I loved it, but it did feel like, Hey, I don't really do a whole lot for anyone. And now I realize because I get a bunch of emails from you guys and we talk and we talk about what you, why you guys are so into poker and why you play poker and why poker is so fun to you and why poker can be a, an escape. I've started to realize being an entertainer is a service, right? If you are a humble entertainer and you help people, that does a lot for the world, right? Because when people get separated from their problems for a couple hours they sometimes come back with new perspectives a new attitude they feel better they're more gentle with their families and that does have value in their safe recreation there's obviously unsafe recreation i think poker can be very safe recreation it is possible for me to make anybody a winner and if you think about that that's a really good form of recreation because let's say you love golf well golf can be very expensive i can get you to the point of not having to pay anything for poker right and then how much further you want to go beyond that is up to you and quite honestly if you want to get to the higher six you're probably gonna to have to find a different coach than me but yeah it, it it's been fun just I'm really liking my job now because I, you never know what people are going through. And if you can offer them any sort of respite uh, and if you can help them at the card table to uh, do things on their terms and not give any money to sit down there at that felt, that actually, it, it feels like a valuable job. And I'm, I'm really starting to see that's a, that's a big deal as this world changes so much. I Honestly, that's why I don't, want to bring anything personal into this anymore right not you were talking about on the other podcast bringing your personal life into the podcast is super awkward i just don't want this to be about me anymore my because when i'm watching espn and politics comes up i don't mind it but at the same time i'm trying to watch sports so i can escape my life for a little bit and when it comes back, it's it, I don't it's I might even agree with the person. In fact, a lot of time I do. But it's one of those, hey, I'm trying to get some perspective on my life and I need a bit of a escape's not the right word. Even somebody can be giving you food for thought that can help your mind think in a different way and that can help you feel a different way and approach your life in a different way. And I, I find that very ethical and good. And if you bring your personal politics into it or your personal BS into it. You're, uh, I think that really dilutes the message. So it's been, yeah, you know, from 
a minimal standpoint, things are awesome here. I, I love living in New York. Uh, it's turning to spring. Things are great. Very happy. And I'm very happy to be here answering questions. I'm super happy that uh, Barry did not have to come back, guys. He uh, He's a very busy guy, but it was very cool how you guys made sure this could happen. I'm really happy to be here answering your questions. If, if one thing's for sure, I'll always come back for money. Don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you're doing a service, you, like if I ask you to roof my house for ten dollars, you probably should say no, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, Barry, do this podcast for free. You should be like, uh, no, I run my own business. I have people I take care of. Uh, I kind of have to think of them first. So it is nice that people say because I've seen this on the internet a hundred times. Hey, bring this site back. We'll help support it. They bring the site back. The site's dead in eight days and 26 minutes later because nobody supported it versus a few people said, hey, I've been meaning to pick up one of these packages. If I knew it would support the One Outer podcast, I'd pick it up today. And I was like, sounds good to me, right? Let's do it. Let's uh, let's hand Barry a nice slice, right? And then, yeah, so we're all here. And now we're doing some bonus features. Yeah, go ahead. Don't get me wrong, if I was, you know, Alex is a great guy. I'm not just saying this because he's listening, but he's a great guy. Myself and Alex talk um, off air as well. And, you know, we have like a joke now and again on WhatsApp as well. And um, it's like, I if I was playing more poker, I would do the show for free still because I'd be more uh, immersed in wanting to talk poker, etc. Whereas I'm going back to Vegas um, next week for uh, a little while and i'll be playing some tournaments there and some cash games i'm looking forward to that it's a holiday you know for me with where i'll be playing poker and i went last year and had a great time again when i sat down so who knows i might come back refreshed and you know want to talk even more poker but yeah after the last i'd say the last probably seven to eight months i've not really been playing at all i've been focused on my other businesses and stuff so it's like it just comes down to when we separated from America's card room, it was just like a natural thing to be like, if we don't get another sponsor, now's probably a good time to, to leave it. And the thing is, it's not like the death. I would always pay the hosting and keep the site up with it, with the archive on there and stuff. And it could always come back for, you know, an odd episode, etc. But this monthly just now is fine. And I'm happy to, happy to keep doing that. Um, Mainly for the money, but secondly, <laughs> all joking aside, uh, there's many good regular guys who have listened from way back when, even before I had Alex on the show, a guy emailed me and was like, oh, it's great, I've listened to you very far, I remember you got Phil Helmuth on and stuff like that, so there is a part of me that's like, you know, I've got my favourite podcast, and if they just end, and sometimes they, they have hiatus for you know, six months, and then you'll just get an an episode through your iTunes from them, and it's great. So I do know what it's like to listen to something that you love, and it's it's humbling and great that people do enjoy the show and what we do. So um, long may it continue, but we, we don't want to keep keep kicking this can down the road. So um, <laughs> what we'll do is we will talk about the coupon code later, like the details of that near the end of the show. I mean, people will. No, I've created a little link on the top right called Alex's store on oneouter.com. If you click there, 
It's got a link to the Gumroad store where all Alex's products are, and the code is one hour. And you just add that at checkout, and you get minimum 50% to 75% off. And we mentioned that in the previous show, and it'll be detailed in the show notes again. So without further ado, Alex, I mentioned I'm going to uh, Vegas and stuff. I'm sure there'll be a few other listeners who are maybe already there. Some people are based nearby and go, you know, every weekend, etc. The World Series starts next week. Um, what are, well, let's relate it. Let's tie it into, say, your products there, because I asked this actually <laughs> during the week. What, what one is best for someone like myself looking to refresh and they're going back, maybe not needing as big a refresher as me, but... Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping I've played so many years. You know, I, I've I've not forgotten how to play, sort of thing. And uh, when you're in it up, it's easy anyway. So, um, what what sort of product would you say would be great for people going and playing these type of events? Um, for example, I'm going to be playing that big fifty, which is crazy, five hundred dollar buy-in, million guaranteed to the winner. There'll be over ten thousand players in it, like four god four start days four day ones all this stuff and uh, 50,000 chips 50 minute level so that'll be fun with you know they're going to have re-entries I think you're allowed to I can't remember if you're allowed to re-enter on that day or you must re-enter on another day one I can't remember what the rule was I read it because I've still to pick my day day one so just people listening and starting to whether they're going out next week or in a few weeks let's do a little sort of Vegas uh advice we'll condense it and then we'll get into the questions yeah sure uh well one one thing i'm gonna say guys is i i always try to do as much as i can for free because that i do get people who write in from country names i can't pronounce i was actually about to try to pronounce one i realized it was one of the stands and i don't know how to pronounce it but i know some for some of you guys, those packages, you know, a hundred bucks might not be much in the States, but uh, in some other places, the US dollar is a little weightier, right? So let me do the long and the short of it, right? The long form would be the product. The short form, I'll, I'll say this. But the first thing, when you go out to Vegas, you got to remember you're paying for an experience, okay? You, it, it is really funny when you think about poker how we'll sit down at a table of nine people and after 10 minutes we'll go, why am I not winning? 20 minutes goes by, why am I not winning? When you really, if you thought about this as an alien looking in, well, there's eight of them and one of you and that dealer's really slow. You played six hands, that's why you're not winning. On average, you should only win one time in a nine. But I've got a good starting hand. Well, that's two cards out of seven. Uh, really unlikely as the five cards come in that it's going to hold on, right? That's just like the first thing I tell everybody when they get to Vegas is one, do not be entitled. Uh, well, if, I, if I'm talking to a younger guy, I say get over yourself because that'll wake them up. But you're going to run bad. It's going to happen, okay? The second thing, play for the win. You are entering for an experience. It's so funny how we all think we're going to win a tournament when <laughs> you're talking about a tournament with 10,000 people. It's almost funny if you bust that tournament and you're disappointed because it's it, 
if you think about this from a purely emotionless standpoint, what were the chances I would be the one person out of 10,000 that was going to win this tournament, right? If I, if I win this tournament one time out of 5,000, I am a fantastic player. That still means I'm going home 4,999 times out of 5,000. So the better way to get value from Vegas is you are going for an experience. And the experience you should try to have is trying to win one of these damn things. Because here's the thing. When you show up there, guys, how many times has this happened to you in a live tournament? You're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I got a million. By the way, everybody's heard this bit before, but just in case you haven't, it really does illustrate the point. How many times have you sat down at the table and said, well, I've got like a million infinity billion monopoly dollars here. You look down at a five, seven suited. You go, All right, I'll raise this. Guy on the cutoff three bet suit and say, yeah, it's not that much. I call you're playing a three bet pie out of position with seven high. And then you'll have people you'll have people do this. How many times have you done this where you sit down at a poker tournament, you feel like you have all the money in the world, and then 45 minutes passes by and you look down at your stack and you go, where did 15% of my chips go? Yeah. Yeah, it happens every time. I have never told that joke and not had a person not understand it. Right? That money's going to someone. You should be that person. I am the most unguarded. I want you to imagine a boxer who you watch his tape and in the first round he comes in with his hands down every single time. He throws lazy punches and then second round he starts firming up. Third round he's got good defense. Well, what round would you press on? You would press on the first round. Now, wouldn't you? Because once you got him hurt, you can keep firing. That's what you need to do in these poker tournaments. If people are going to have lazy opens, you need to three bet more. You should be three betting more than everybody at your table. And let, let me put it this way. If a guy in Vegas under the age of 40 opens the low jack or later, he has too many hands straight up. Now, here's the short version. If you just listen to what I'm going to say in the next five minutes and you apply it in Vegas, I guarantee you will do better in tournaments than you deserve, right? I When I was rebuilding my poker coaching business like three years ago, where if you guys were listening to this podcast, you knew I fell flat on my ass. Uh, I was trying to find a different way to teach poker because I noticed all the ways people were teaching poker were super complicated. And the problem with poker coaches is, the problem with poker coaching in general is it's just, if you imagine a guy who's really proficient as a welder, he might not be the best as ex at explaining it because he just grew up watching his father weld or something along those lines. And it's a bit of, it's a bit intuitive to him. So the articulation process is very difficult. And then sometimes after you've been doing something for 10 years, something that's very complex seems very simple to you when you're teaching. Uh, but to the person who plays on the weekends or like Barry, Barry is a very normal poker consumer, a fan of it, will watch it on TV on occasion. When business gets uh, a little intense, he takes some months off, right? That's very normal. Now, if I come in and I start explaining high-end game theory principles to Barry, a lot of that's going to not work, right? 
So I tried to find a different way to do that. And I started looking in into what game theory was. Well, game theory, long story short, if you watch, let me give you the simplest example of the difference between Moneyball, Exploitative, and game theory, okay? And I'm going to use it in the context of another game. If you're watching basketball, the two most profitable shots are the three-point shot by a good shooter that's worth 1.2 points on average and a shot within the key that's worth 1.2 points on average, right? If you take the completion percentage multiplied by the number of points uh, you win if the shot is successful, that's what it comes out to. A shot, a mid-range jumper is worth 0.8 points, 0.9, right? Now... The direct money ball approach would be you just only stick to the high value shots. The game theory optimal shot, the game theory optimal idea would be go grab some of those mid-range jumpers and that kind of scares people off of your good shots or they don't know you're going to certain points of the court all the time and that'll help make your really good shots even more profitable. I think that's the simplest way I can explain game theory and Moneyball, right? Now, the great thing about Vegas is you're playing with everybody. You're playing with the gardener, right? And they're not going to know what part of the court to defend on, okay? So what I did is I looked into a lot of data and I tried to find what are the bets in poker that are the equivalent of those basketball shots, right? What's always good for a big blind? You know what's good for a lot of money? When somebody's opening too much and you three bet them, that is money in the bank. Every time I've run it through an equity calculator, through solvers, through databases, if a guy opens too many hands and he calls you out of position, he's just missing the flop too much. And Think about it. Do you like calling with high cards out of position? Most people don't in three bet pods. Let's say you have ace 10 on king six four. You raise some guy three bets. You call the board comes king six four. You check the guy bets. You know you're supposed to call some percentage of the time, but a lot of the time you don't, which means you're folding all your high cards, which means you're folding more than 50% of the time. And that guy's half pot C bet needed to work 33% of the time. So the guy's just making money hand over fist on you. And that's how most people play. And it's okay to play like that because most people won't bring out the three bet. The average three bet is five to 7%. The most active players will be at like nine or 10. I really think you can ride that up to 18, 20 in low stakes tournaments. I, God is my witness, I do that. If I think a guy's opening a little too much, I'm just after it because I'm just layering up on what makes me money. It's just like that three-point shot, right? I know it's the high-value shot. I'm just going to layer up on it. It's the same thing. When I'm opening, my target is the big blind. I want the big blind to play with me. That is the weakest, dumbest player always because you make it 4X, they'll call you out of the big blind. And what do they call you with? They're not calling 4X with 9-5 offsuit in any other spot, but they'll do it out of the big blind. Why? Well, I'm out of position here. I like it. What? And then if they miss the board, they're supposed to check raise you some percentage of the time. They're supposed to donk bet you. No one does it. So guess what? That's another slam donk bet. 
you're trying to get heads up versus wide ranges, C-bet, and get them to fold high cards. You're just clocking big blinds every single time you do that. And then when people are really likely to have a tight range, you're getting the hell out of there as fast as you can. So you raise, say you raise a little bit bigger trying to get that big blind to call you, right? But now a guy cold calls you on the cutoff. That's like 12% of hands. You can check fold versus that guy a lot. You can check call once with a pair and just fold to a turn bet. That's fine, right? Don't get over-involved with people who have the goods. If a guy three bets you, nine times out of ten, people don't three bet as much as they should. You, you know, younger guys, to their credit, some of them will three bet a lot there. But not most guys won't, right? And even guys who three bet once on occasion, that still means it's so rare you probably shouldn't look for it. You can argue for the next call when somebody three bets you time bank a little bit or whatever, but that's about it. So what I just described to you is most of my uh, mo- most of my Vegas strategy is that. Now, obviously, there's a million ways this could change based on different player types and there's different boards and whatnot. And if you want the particulars of what boards are good, what players are good and whatever, I'd recommend how to think like a poker player would be a really good way to how to think like a poker player is one of the products I am the proudest of because it is the most I have ever simplified my system and it is the greatest results I've gotten, right? So I really like that. Master tournament poker in one class is really good too, but how to think like a poker player works really well in conjunction with it. Shows you a lot of real life examples, but most of what you need to do is when a guy's opening too much, you three bet him and you get it heads up and you see that and you, cl- you try to fold high cards and you clock that big blind, what it's worth, right? And you can find out when people are opening too wide. Cause here's the thing. Your biggest problem when you three bet a guy is He's going to four bet aces, kings, or queens. That's, that is terrible for you. That's a loss of like nine big blinds, right? That is hugely bad. If you can rule out the best hands from his open, you should be going after him most of the time. Well, you can do that with some guys because have you ever looked at your hand before it's your turn to act and you saw aces? Did you start making noises? Did you start barking like, hey, it's on you, pal? No, you're as quiet as a church mouse. That's what normal people do when they look at a big hand. They still their body like the saber-toothed tiger in the bushes waiting for their prey. So when you see there are certain guys that when they open, if there's a little bit of a flourish and trash talk, that could still be ace-king. That could still be jacks. But a lot of times it's not aces or kings. You can look for that, right? I'd really recommend uh, Zachary Elwood before you go out there. He has a, he has a lot of books about live tells where – He's uh, he's on another planet with a lot of this stuff. It's helped me a lot in my game when I'm playing. I'd really recommend checking that out. But yeah, it's a lot of getting heads up versus wide ranges, getting that big blind all to myself. Americans, God bless their hearts. They're so good at opening and not folding to a three bet. So they got these really big ranges that you can see bet into and get a lot of folds. And then once people call you, they got pairs and they don't like folding pairs. What pair do they have? Probably one of the pairs on the board. It's really hard to make a pocket bear. Only six combos of that. There is multiple combos, nine combos for every combination you can think of with every card on that board, right? With each kicker, right? There's there's a lot of times top pair and bottom pair will be half the combos on the board. 
even with flush draws and sets and all that. And the pocket pair will be six combos, right? And it's probably one of the pairs on the board. They're probably not going to fold in on the turn unless the turn's like seven, five, six, four, or four to a flush or something that's just atrocious because people hate folding pairs, the end, right? So if you got a really good pair that beats most of the pairs on that board, keep betting. Put your foot on their throat. Go for it, right? And then when they have the upper hand, when they cold call you with 12% of their hands, when they three bet you with 6% of their hands, run away. And if one loose guy opens and another guy calls or there's a bunch of limpers, raise big enough that it looks absurd to you, okay? Because if it looks absurd to you, it looks absurd to the other good players at the table and they're going to fold, but it's not going to look absurd to the dumbest player at the table. And then he's going to call and you're going to have this huge pot heads up with the worst player at the table. So if there's a bunch of limpers, you should raise to 4x plus 2x for each limper and you should count the big blind as a forced limp, right? Your raise size is going to be bigger than everyone's, right? If you're squeezing... So let's say one guy goes to 2.5x, another guy calls, and you know the first guy's goofing off a lot and the second guy's goofing off a lot. Don't three bet to like 8x unless you really like multi-way pots. Multi-way pots are death. You need a hand to win in a multi-way pot. Go to like 12.5x or 15x, something that looks absurd to you, right? Go big. Make it so, by the way, your hands are not worth that much. Kings, on average, makes five big blinds. So if you get that 2.5x to fold and the other 2.5x to fold with the blinds and annies, that's 7.5x. You just out-earned your expectation with no variance. Game over. You win. Removing the variance is a very big deal in poker tournaments. It's never a bad thing if everybody folds. That is the biggest problem everybody has. They raise too small. They play this big multi-way pot. And if you have one pair and they raise you on the Turner River, they got you beat. Trust that. If you follow the advice I just gave you in the last 15 minutes, you will do just fine in Vegas. You will thrash the bums. And if you want to get really good at the particulars, I'd recommend how to think like a poker player. And I'd recommend master tournament poker in one class. Okay. Just stop. I'm sorry? Just on the sort of pre-game uh, preparation in terms of diet, etc., I'd suggest a hot dog and a Pepsi spilt on. <laughs> that's that's the best tournament result I had on the last trip. I ran so well, I shoved food down my mouth at the Golden Nugget and spilt. I think it was mustard and then or or some Pepsi. I spilt something. I can't remember what it was. I spilt something on my T-shirt. And then I went and I got down to like 40 players out of 3,800 or something like that. So that's yeah. just a good insider tip in terms of... In terms when, of I was in, when I was in Montreal with uh, Dennis, Dennis F. and Peterson, there was one day we were just goofing off and then uh, we went in a poutine, which is, if you've never had it, is the heaviest food on earth. It's literally French fries, gravy, cheese curds, right? And... At some point, I was like, screw it. I'm playing the six max event tonight. And he's like, did you see what you just ate? I was like, I don't care, man. Let's do this. And then, yeah, uh, brag post, I final table. But I did not I did, I did. not feel good for those four hours. I'll say that. I definitely hit the wall. If you want to give yourself the best chance to win in Vegas, uh, actually in life, period, 
uh, just crap tons of water, black coffee, don't do the uh, anything really beyond that as far as uh, caffeination. And uh, like lean proteins, like avocados, almonds, that's the stuff that I always feel like is brain food when I'm playing. You have an avocado with salt, like, mm, like, and then you're just fine for the next five hours, right? Whereas if you eat one of those energy bars, it's delicious, but then like 10 minutes later, you're going, hey, I'm, I'm hungry again. And yeah, obviously, if you can uh, get all American Dave's like salmon or whatever, that's what you should go for, although it can be tough. Yeah, I like the prime rib at the Four Queens, but that, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the garbage. That's the other thing, man. When you're in Vegas, if you're not playing, go eat the garbage and have fun and drive an ATV. It's Vegas. Have fun, man. Yeah. All right, Alex. Um, let's get some questions in and see what we can do here. So this yes, one sir. is from Emir. Hey, Barry and Alex. Thank you both for the podcast and keep it up. Also, Alex, thanks for your products. I was lucky to get some of those myself, and your concepts have stayed with me over the past years and prob probably saved slash won me a bunch. Now to my question, which is more general, but I hope you still have some advice for it. Each session when I'm playing online poker, I can make a good three hours with Twitch streaming or not, work after which I am a bit drained and sometimes have a light headache. This makes me question if poker is suited for me because I also hear about others who apparently can put in 10 to 12 hours in front of a computer. I wanted to give poker a shot after my studies by taking time off, traveling the world and playing online poker. But facing this issue, I'm not sure if I can compete with others who can put in more time than me. Can this be trained, i.e. by increasing the session each time by 30 minutes? Have you experienced any similar issues? Or else I might just want to pour down some energy drink down my throat each time when I'm approaching the end of my grinding. Thanks for your feedback and best regards from Switzerland, Emir. Excuse me, sir. We call it fizzy juice on this podcast. We'll yeah. excuse it just that once. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, no, nah, Amir, you're talking... You're talking about something I've been thinking about a lot, which is if you watch esports now... They'll have a guy on there who's 27. They'll be like, you know, Joe Schmo here, he's 27. He's washed up. But hopefully he can make it through this. And I'm like, hey, now, like, what the hell? He's playing video games. But something I really believe is online poker tournaments can be a young man's game. And I think live poker is very much something you grow into. I think a lot of experiential wisdom pays off tenfold when you're playing live poker because you can see, oh, you know, the cut of this guy's jib. I think he's more capable of that. Now, obviously, in online poker, a lot of it is number crunching. And truth be told, I am not as quick as I was when I was 22, like by a long shot. Uh, I think the quality of my answers when I play poker is better. But if I, when I was 19, so do you remember when Havad Khan, or Barry, I doubt you'll even catch this, but Havad Khan did a video where he showed how he was playing like 30 Singos at the time. Yeah, I remember that to prove he wasn't a bot or something. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, they, they did that to a lot of us. Havad Khan was just way funnier the way he did it, right? Uh, I was one of those guys who was playing so many sit-and-goes, they had to keep checking that I was not a bot, right? I'd be playing 24 at a time. And I loved it I, because it's like speed chess in the park versus 24 people. And back then, you didn't have to be that good to beat those, right? I pretty much saw one video where Sheets was explaining shovefold math. And I went, oh, sweet. And then I looked into it a bit more. And that was about all I needed to be $20, $30 Syngos at the time, right? If I had to do that now, I wouldn't have that kind of luck on the draw. I wouldn't be able to do that. I, it's It changes. You really just change as you get older. Now, when I play live poker... I pick off bluffs I would have never picked off six years ago because I'm just calmer at the table and I can see more than I used to see. I spot, I can't tell you how many times in the last couple of years I bet the second nuts on the river the guy's raised and I just, I'm positive I'm folding uh, the losing hand, right? Whereas when I was younger, it was just one of those, well, I'd call online, so I'm going to call here. But you, so the problem becomes variance is extensive in poker. And the way you get through variance is adding hands, playing more hands than other people. Well, there's a couple different ways to do that. One, you can play small field tournaments and you can play a lot of them. I think that is a very tough way to make a living, quite honestly. I, it is definitely doable. But you got to have a heart of steel to some of the most fun I ever had was playing low stakes, mid stakes tournaments. But it's also very gruesome because you got to really know what you're doing. And high stakes tournaments, there are high stakes online tournaments. I, I just quite frankly, I think the whiz kids are just too good now. Right. If you're playing like a big open field uh, tournament, you're just fine. But if you're playing those like small tournaments with mostly the whiz kids, like don't do it, right? Uh, I should say more. Well, I could say more about why I feel that way, but it's <laughs> they're uh, they have some machinery that will uh, scares you, right? And anyway, they. Long story short, I think the way to get good at poker is you got to diversify your portfolio. You have to, I honestly think when I was making all my money from poker and the most happy I was, uh, I would play 80, 85% cash games. Let's say 80%, 15% of my playing time was small field tournaments and maybe 5% of my profit from the month previous was just pie in the sky shots, right? Sunday millions or live uh, satellites and stuff like that. And that was a very good way to make a stable living. Uh, it's not the most thrilling way to go, but you got to remember there's a big survivorship bias in poker. If a 10,000 guys take their entire bankroll to every limit and play a tournament against themselves and just go up from big major win to big major win to high rollers, a few of them are going to survive. 
they could even become very good poker players, but you're not seeing the 9,900 people who didn't survive. And you got to remember, you're seeing the tip of the iceberg. If you want to look further into this, I'd recommend PokerDope.com to see into it. Now, the good thing about diversifying between cash games, you can play cash games for three, four hours at a time and then just take a break. Go to the gym. Chill. Right? Go for a swim. And then come back and do it again. Uh, The other thing is your physical training needs to be a big deal. So four years ago, I was rocking 245 pounds. I am six feet tall for reference. Uh, Focusing deep in tournaments a lot harder. Uh, I can say that without any hint of hyperbole. My command of my focus was not there because how could it be? My body was inflamed. Do we really think that doesn't reach the mind? And I knew I had to change it. So I did get down to 190 at one point. I think I'm about 205 now. If you want to invest in yourself, man, I I really think, think about what you, think about how a dog would react if you put a dog in your office all day. If you put a dog in a tiny office for 10 hours a day, how would that dog be doing? Well, you're a mammal too. All mammals play tag. All mammals need to play. It's a very big deal. There's a lot of evidence now that young boys, when they're not socialized with roughhousing behavior, actually become antisocial. So I think the fastest bang for the buck for exercising, optimally you'd be playing rec league basketball or something like that, something where you'd just be going hard or rec league football of the European kind or whatever, right? Not, not the kind that gives you CTE. You'd be doing a team sport with your buddies, getting a lot of time with your friends, uh, a lot of good workout in the sun. But if you're busy, the best thing that's ever worked for me is weightlifting. Because if you think about it, weightlifting is just essentially, it's stretching that's very intense. If you can do a squat with no weight, just fine. But if you add weights, it's a deeper burn. It gets a lot of value for the exercise really quickly. And I think testosterone is a use it or lose it thing. And I I think when a man's testosterone dips, uh, when the biorhythm is affected, that's when mood disturbances occur. There the thing that made me think testosterone is a use it or lose it thing, there was a BuzzFeed video where four guys, I think they're called the Try Guys, wanted to go get their testosterone checked. And I think all four of them had less testosterone than a 70-year-old male. And everybody was making fun of them. But I was thinking, they work in an office all day. We probably all deal with this, right? And I think that affects your mood as a man. So I, th- I think if you can do team sports yet play like the human animal requires. I think that's a really big deal. I think that affects your mood. I think that affects your focus. And if you just don't have time, I'd really recommend looking into just any kind of uh, 
strength training, uh, weightlifting. I got, I was a distance runner for years. I love distance running. I I used to run 10 miles a night. Uh, I was really into that on the tour. It is not the same bang for the buck and change your eating. Nobody ever said anything bad about a green vegetable. And, uh, the things that seem to make me really tired are sugar and grains like that. That tends to make you sop your energy. Uh, if you can cook with veggies and lean protein, that seems to be the ticket. Hope this all helps, Amir. Yeah. And the, the thing about playing online sessions like that is it's so important to take breaks. And Alex touched on it there. It's very hard to do if you're on the tournament schedule. If you're playing the sit and goes or multi-tabling like the, the, the sort of 180s or things like that or the equivalent 45-man things, etc., you get a break as well. You can, you know, if you stop regging them, it usually works out about, you know, an hour, 45 minutes to two hours till like all your tables are finished. But yeah, if you're sitting playing these guarantees in these, you know, thousand plus fields and stuff, you're, you're in for the, you hope you're in for the long haul. So yeah, that's a totally different thing. That's one thing that stopped me back then and made me transition to the, to the sit and goes because it was just, it was just brutal, you know, being locked to your desk like that. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry, Alex, you want to say something? Oh, no, I, I was just going to say same reason I got into six max cash was just one, the money at one, two was better than I expected. And that's where I started. And uh, two, yeah, you play and when you're feeling it, you just keep going. And then let's say something's affecting you. It's like, nope, you all don't get to play with me. I sit out all. And then yeah. just walk out the door until you feel better, right? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, we spoke about I think we speak about it every time when I'm going to Vegas or you're going to Vegas or whatever. You forget how fun playing cash in Vegas is, live cash. Oh, yeah. You can just stop and get up because people sit down and play 40 minutes, either win a stack and get up and leave and nobody blinks an eye or because there's so many games going on and table changes, etc. Uh, people waiting, playing smaller stakes till a seat comes available, you know, in the Venetian or Bellagio, any of these big card rooms. And I remember Phil Helmuth always saying it. I've actually got his autobiography and I've not read it yet, but I remember him speaking about it. I don't know if it was in the interview I did with him or somewhere else, but he said he used to go and play the cash games and he would have a simple rule. It was like one buy-in rule or something. He would sit down and he would play. And if he lost the buy-in, he would get up and leave the game for the day. That would He wouldn't play again that day. He would go and swim and do, you know, whatever else and chill in his room, go to a show, whatever. And then the next day, and this is Phil Helmuth building his bankroll, Phil Helmuth, before World Series win, etc. And he would do that system and it would be like the days that he would go and he wouldn't lose the buy-in and he would win. So, like, the days his losses were capped, but his wins were, you know, usually three, four, five, six buy-ins and stuff. Right. And it, it was just having the discipline to do that, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm firing a bullet or two bullets here, whatever your rule is. And then once that's gone, that's me for the whole day session because I know I won't be playing optimally, etc. I'll go rest, relax, and start again the next day. And he did that for so many weeks while he was playing in Vegas when he was building his role and stuff. I always thought that was quite a cool method. Yes, sir, because usually people do the exact opposite, which I think TJ Cloutier called eating like a hummingbird, crapping like an elephant, yeah. which is 
they'd win a buy-in and they'd just leave. And then if they started losing, they just kept going, right? It's dragged off the table. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, let's get another question in and then we'll wrap it up for this show. Uh, this one is from Nick. Barry and Alex, I'm a US player about to play live Asian poker tournaments for the first time. Does most of Alex's content master in the flop, master poker tournaments in one class, that's a check raise fool, etc., apply to the Asian fields? In a few weeks, well, this question was months ago, so the results are gone. <laughs> but we hope, uh, we hope um, someone else gets, uh, or maybe, what was it, Nick, maybe you're going back to Asia, or maybe you won as well, so do get <laughs> if you hear this and let us know what happened but in the email he said um, where are we in a, in a few weeks I'm playing an APT in Manila and maybe a WPT Vietnam also do you have any tips on how to approach Asian fields in general thanks for everything y'all do Alex's products have paid for themselves many times over the free podcasts have awesome nuggets of strategy too now I have to stop you there this is just total coincidence or is it kismet or whatever that is that what you know some people call it it's like these questions are literally on a notepad on my iphone and just copy pasted you know so these ones are really related to alex's products and stuff so it's not like we're trying to go like oh this guy this guy's <laughs> stupid whatever nick is a genuine person as he will protest when he gets in touch and says yeah, thanks for the info. I got back from Asia six months ago. <laughs> so do get in touch, Nick, if you are still listening and let us know what happened. But Alex, if you want to take it from there, and um, I'm sure I'm sure it's relevant still. Yeah, Barry Chalmers from Dundee said he laughed, he cried, he lost five pounds. These products are amazing, guys. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, um, well, I have not played in Asia in over 10 years. Uh, I lived in Seoul for a year. I'm, it's been a long time since I've been back there. What I noticed, I did, I just missed an APPT Manila final table. What I noticed when I was there is a lot of the people you play with are actually foreigners. There's a lot of expats in Asia. And in many parts of Asia the locals aren't even allowed to play in the casino. That's how it was in Seoul. So if you are playing with someone, by definition, they're not a native Korean. I think that's how it used to be. And there would be a lot of travelers from, you know, there would be Chinese nationals that played in Seoul and whatnot, right? Uh, so the thing you always have to look for and ask yourself is will this person fold a high card? If you watch what I teach people mostly, in tournaments, it's a whole lot of get it in position, play big pots in position if you can with some kind of hand. It's If you play big pots in position versus weak players, you would have to be the worst player on earth to lose, right? That's just how poker works. Because people, in, the reason for that is people tend, nobody designed poker. Uh, it is an imbalance game. And the imbalance is that people tend to miss the flop. 
Two cards misses three cards all the time. And they miss the flop so often that most C-bets will work. You bet three-fourths the pot, that looks like a huge C-bet. That only needs to work 42.8% of the time. And on average, a 20-25% range will not have a pair or draw on the board 50% of the time. You also specifically know what boards they're really likely to hit. People love big cards. They kind of like middle cards, and they really don't like low cards. So if that board comes with two cards above a nine, that's a dangerous board to see bet on. Because he likes big cards, so he's got a lot of draws and he's got a lot of pairs there. Now if that board comes nine, four, two, not so scary. Queen, four, two, not so scary. King, four, two, not so scary. Ace, four, two, even that's not that scary. That's the only board you should change your C-bet size on, by the way, because people are less inclined to call with high cards, so you can C-bet a little smaller. But yeah, anyway, the big question you're always asking yourself, is this a person who will fold high cards, right? Because then I'm just going to corner them with their big ranges. I'm going to get them to fold that. And then after they call, they're not getting another chip with their pairs. I'm not going to bet their hand for them, right? Unless I have a better hand than them, in which case, all that money is coming to this stack, right? Now, there's a couple situations that are precarious. Theoretically, when someone opens the button with 40% of the hands and you threw that small and they call you with 35% of those hands, you should have a profitable C-bet. What's the problem in that situation? The reason I have taught that play, I think once in the past five years, is it's so dangerous versus certain opponents. Because let's say a guy has ace-10, he raises the hijack. On the cutoff, a guy he's never seen in his life three bets in. Well, okay, he calls out of position. The board comes king-6-4, he checks. You bet nine guys out of ten fold there. So you're folding all the high cards, you slam dunk play, right? Unless the guy's going to four bet you or start check raising you on the board, he's not making money. Now, let's say he opens that same ace 10 on the button and you three bet from the big blind and that board comes king six four and you see that now he's going to feel really weird about folding. A lot of guys don't like folding there. And my biggest difficulty when I did play in Asia is it is socially acceptable to go for it in Asia. You can, with a high card, raise on that board, or you can call to see if the guy blinks on the turn. And there are guys that'll do that. In America, I don't know why we have this, but if a guy does something a little out of line, there's a lot of, oh, look at you trying at the table. That doesn't exist in Scandinavia. That doesn't exist in Brazil. That doesn't exist in a lot of Asia. So what you got to do when you get there is you got to separate the Asian-Americans because they were socialized differently. And if they're just strict adherence to the American style of poker, you if they see a goofy bet size and they have a high card, they just won't go after it nearly as much. Versus a guy who's really going for it, right? You have to do the same thing when you're in Brazil. There's the guys who wear uh, the football jerseys, soccer jerseys, and they cheer after big pots, and they'll raise you with nothing. They'll call you with nothing, right? You, you pretty much are value betting versus them a lot of the time, right? Or you're going to double barrel a lot more. 
And then there's going to be the guys who clearly are trying to become a professional and they've studied everything on the internet. They tend to be quieter, a little bit more reserved, uh, not really playing for the fun of it as much, trying to make money. They'll, they'll fold a high card if you push hard enough, right? So that's what I would say. And if it's an Australian there, there's a lot of Aussies who play. A lot of this stuff is going to apply. If the guy grew up in America, a lot of this stuff is going to apply, right? So I, I would approach it that way. Okay. And I would just, I, last time I was uh, um, two years ago, Alex, I can hear myself back. <laughs> it's a classic episode. Yeah, classic. Ahead. 205 episodes in, plus all the ones before it, and still happens. It's good. I'm sure <laughs> to do that just to talk to me. I don't know. Um, so yeah, when I was in Macau last like two years ago, the makeup that I saw was what Alex is describing. The, the card room was full of um, long-haired sort of Northern Europeans, uh, I would say, and then you had a mix of like Asian guys and stuff. But yeah, I don't. I think the idea of going out to Macau and finding a load of maybe at high stakes, there's still a lot of rich businessmen and stuff in games that are like very difficult to get into the the sort of Tom Dwan arena, et cetera. But um, in terms of playing, and also I think the smallest stakes, I converted it. It was around, I think the equivalent was maybe 2-4 or 3-6 in terms of US dollar. There wasn't any 1-2 or anything, certainly in the win or any of these casinos I saw. Um, so, yeah, the idea of going out there to like play against, I mean, it will happen. There will be the odd person, but I think as Alex always talks about the field, I would say the field in places like Macau and that are probably a lot more accomplished players than you would maybe stereotypically expect. Yes, sir. I I just, every time I play in the States, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, maybe it's because I grew up here. I feel like I know how Americans think. But yeah, you go to Asia, it is unpredictable. It is, it's a tough place to play, right? Uh, there's a lot of, in Europe, you got to mind your P's and Q's. You got to figure out who's there to gamble and who actually knows what they're doing. Who might know, hey, I can't fold just high cards with backdoor flush draws and whatnot on the flop. And then the great thing is that the U.S. economy is doing so well right now. There's so many people playing poker that I wasn't seeing playing poker five years ago, and they're just gambling it up. It's it's really fun, and yeah, that changes. The, that ebbs and flows, right? That changes by country to country and year to year. And I, I think right now, it's been a while since I've been to Asia, but yeah, it's definitely a little harder to track. I, I would assume it would be more akin to what Barry is talking about. Okay, Nick. Well, we hope you <laughs> that helps you uh, going next time you go to Asia. And uh, we hope you had a successful trip. And I'm sure Alex's stuff would have helped anyway. It's poker, and poker, poker is poker the world over with uh, some some small minor adjustments. Um, that's all we got time for this episode. Alex, how can people get in touch with you for further details, etc.? Maybe you want to give a shout out to the coupon code again for people that just tuned in at the end. Actually, before I forget, I'd like to say something that's been niggling me. At the start of the podcast, I said about the mailbag, it was a fictionary. That's a, that's a fictitious word. I did mean 
I, I meant fictitious or imaginary and joined the two together. So <laughs> I thought you were, yeah, okay. Like Donald Trump, you know, I'm not going to be Donald Trump and make up these weird words and stuff like bigly and stuff and, and just let them run. Uh, it was a slip of the tongue. I am getting old now. I'm, you know, so that was it. I want to just correct myself. I meant imaginary or fictitious. So, Alex, uh, <laughs> the, the floor is yours. <laughs> You're like that uh, bartender in Boondock Saints. Why don't you make like a tree and get the F out of here or whatever yeah. he says. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you make like a tree and F and leave? Uh, if you guys want to check out something neat, go to the new Poker Head Rush site. I've done, well, essentially you go to the Poker Head Rush site and all you can do is sign up for the mailing list, mailing list or you can go see a bunch of videos for free by going to the Gumroad store. So I've done a neat thing with the Gumroad store where if you want to see free training videos, uh, and I'm not talking 10-minute videos, hey, check out this cool concept I thought you could have folded here. If you want to find out why you could fold here, buy this. No, no, no. I'm talking about complete lessons that I've done with PowerPoints and graphs and data and statistical breakdowns and hand history quizzes, hours long, hours of free content. You can check that all out at gumroad.com. Just click on the product. There will be a photo of the product. Click the play button uh, to play it. Some people were having difficulties with that. They thought I said there was a free video and then they could click on the link and they thought it was just a picture. No, no, no. Click on that. It's like a Harry Potter picture. It moves. Click on the play button and listen to it and get a free lesson. And if you're if you like what you see, get a discount. There's a few discount codes left. It'll tell you if you put in oneouter.com, it'll tell you what the discount is gonna be, right? And that lets you know it's still available. Just put one outer in the checkout and it'll give you 50 to 75% off. And we'll run that for another week or so. See how it goes. And the discount code is one outer, not one outer.com. It's one outer, O N E O U T E R, just in case there was any confusion there. Good catch. Yeah. Uh, we all make mistakes. Um, <laughs> so, Alex, what's your plans for the next month then? Are you heading out to Vegas or? I'm a, I don't know how much time you got. I'm in a weird spot right now where. I really wanted to get the new well, poker head rush life story. I just asked. You <laughs> Vegas, <so>. Long story <laughs> short, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I I know it's one of those like well because people always do the why aren't you playing more, and it's kind of well. I wanted to get PokerHeadRush.com off the ground, and now that I did that. I'm doing a bunch of joint projects and my mailing list is going really good. And this is really fun because once you get this all set up, you can play poker with abandon, right? The thing is, I'm like two months out from getting everything just perfect the way I want it. So for sure, I'm going to be going to play the main event. I've already booked everything uh, for the main event. I want to get out there for more of the events, but we'll see how it goes. Barry, I'm never going to meet you. I don't exist. I got to tell you. No, it's Tyler Durden. I am Alex Fitzgerald, and Alex Fitzgerald <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is me. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Do take advantage of that coupon code that Alex has left. Uh, one hour for his Gumroad 
uh, store, amazing discounts, at least half off. And as he said, up to 75% on some of the products. And it does help out supporting the show, etc. Um, keep your questions coming in. Questions at oneouter.com on email. They will go into the fictitious bag. And they will get eventually answered. Hopefully not six months later, like poor next question um, about the <laughs> fields. But we will get to them eventually. So um, that's it. So thanks for listening. Keep sending the questions in, and we'll see you next month. Cheers. I'm back. <laughs>